Awesome. Now, Romans chapter 7, if you're having a, a hard time finding it, um, it's kind of like towards the back of, the, of, of, of your Bibles. Uh, it's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Just so you kind of get yourself situated. Uh, but Romans chapter 7. Again, as we've been going through the whole book of Romans, we get kind of to, 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 to this point now in the book of Romans uh, where Paul, in the past few chapters, he's been on the topic of sanctification, which means just this daily, continual cleansing of the believer. Right? The Bible teaches that once we place our faith in Jesus, man, we're forgiven. We're made righteous in the beloved. You know, God sees us as if we had never sinned. And that's amazing. But though we still make mistakes here day to day, that's called the sanctification process. And each and every one of us are in that sanctification process. And we're going to be in it until we go to be home with the Lord. It's something that, that, that the Lord is working out in us if we let Him every single day, no matter who you are, no matter what uh, you do in ministry, no matter what you do for the Lord. Each and every one of us, God is, is sanctifying us. He's watching us daily. And so as we're on this topic of, of sanctification, uh, Paul in the previous chapters, we've seen that he's used illustrations to describe the believer's relationship to sin, the believer's relationship to grace, and the believer's relationship to the law. Now, a few chapters back, we saw that, that Paul used this illustration of baptism and the death and resurrection of Christ to, to kind of get us familiar with our, our relationship now with sin. And he says, just as Christ would, uh, died and was and, and raised again, says, so us when we place our faith in him, it's like we're dying with him when, when, we, when we're baptized. Going to the water, it's like we're, be, it's like we're, we're, we're dying with him and, and we're being raised up a new person, a new creation in the spirit. And then that, uh, a couple weeks ago, there in chapter... In chapter 6, we see that, that Paul used that illustration of slavery. And he says, hey, he says that that relationship with the believer's bondage to sin, if we choose to habitually sin while under grace, he says, look, that, that thing which you give yourself over to constantly, he says, hey, you become a slave to that thing. He says, if you're a believer and you're giving yourself over to sin, whatever sin it is, is you become a slave to that thing, even though Christ has already set you free. And now he's going to use the illustration of marriage to describe the believer's relationship to the law. And he's going to finish this thought. And so starting there in chapter 7 verse 1. He says. Or do you not know brothers. For I speak to those who know the law. He says that the law has dominion over a man. Or has power or has authority over a man. As long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband. As long as he lives. But if the husband dies. Then she is released from the law of her husband. So then, verse 3, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is freed from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. And so when, when, when Paul is referring to the law, keep in mind that he's, he's referring to the law of God, the way, what we know as the Ten Commandments, right? God's righteous requirement. That law was given to, to Moses there in, uh, in Mount Sinai. And so Paul says, he says, look, we've been, we as believers, as Christians, if you place your faith in Jesus, we've been freed from the law so that we can live under grace, right? It's not about keeping all these rules and regulations and laws to the T because none of us can, right? If you've ever tried, I mean, man, you, you blow it just in your mind and your thoughts and in your heart. And even though it's not something outward, he says, hey, man, God is more concerned with the heart. And so Paul saying, look, we've been freed from the law so we can live under grace. And so he's going to show us now a better way. He says, better than the law. He says, now it's through grace. Keep in mind that 
If you remember back in Romans 6, 14, Paul said this. You could look over there real quick. Paul said, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but you are under grace. And now Paul will explain to us how it is that, that the believer is no longer under the law, right? Or under that condemnation of the law. He said, look man, for believers, we're not under the law. We're under grace, right? He's going to go in and kind of just, just uh, uh, tear that, that thought apart. And so Paul's going to use marriage now as an illustration to show the believer's relationship to the law now, right? And, and the point of this text, again, is it's not marriage in particular, though he uses marriage as an illustration, uh, in the context, he's not, he's not focusing on marriage, but he's, he's using marriage as an illustration to prove his point of the believer's relationship now to the law, right? And so, and so he's going to use these, these marriage principles, though they're true, but he's going to use them to express another thought, another truth, right? That of the believer's relationship to the law. And he says that the law has dominion over a man as long as he's alive, right? It's, it, it sounds complex, but when you break it down, it's actually really simple. Right, uh, I've I've had all these. Not anymore, thank God. I'm clear. I'm, I'm all my court stuff is clear up. But you know, a few years ago when I had all this court stuff, you know, uh, debts, uh, debts, fees, warrants, stuff like that, uh, stuff I had owed to, to 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 the court. Man, it, it, the moment I die, I'm free of those things. Why? Because they can't. I can't take those things to the grave. Right, and and so similar to that, Paul's going to use now the law of marriage. To, to, to prove that now the believer, and once a believer dies to the law, that old nature, that sin nature, is, hey, we're no, we're no longer indebted to this law, right? That's holding us together. And so he uses marriage for an example. He says, plain and simple, he says, the married woman who is bound by the law of marriage to her husband, right? She says, if she marries another man while still being bound to this law to her husband, then she's committing adultery. Plain and simple, he says, if this lady's married, her husband's living, her then, then she's bound by this law of marriage to her husband. If she's in a marriage relationship with her husband, she marries someone else while still being married to her husband, and he's alive, she's in sin. It's adultery, right? Plain and simple, Paul says. He says, but if the husband dies, then she is now freed from her marriage vows and free to remarry without penalty, without guilt, without sin. He, he's, he's laying out these, these, these clear, simple truths, he's saying, right? Now, some have actually used this text here where Paul says uh, to, to kind of teach that a person is to remain married to uh, uh, an abusive spouse or an unfaithful spouse or these different things. But Paul, that's not what Paul is saying, right? And this, this text here in Romans chapter 7 is not about marriage, He's using marriage as an illustration to prove uh, this point, to, to get this point across of the believer's relationship to the law. But I have heard people use this verse or these few verses to, 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 to teach or to prove or to, or to support the, their, their ideas that, hey, uh, a couple must stay together no matter what, even if you know, there's a, an abusive husband, a cheating spouse, whatever it may be. Right? But that's not the case. Right? The Bible does give us uh, two situations in which Grounds for divorce is acceptable. One is sexual immorality, there in Matthew 5.32. And the other one is abandonment by an unbelieving spouse, there in 1 Corinthians 7.15. Meaning that if, if a couple gets together not being saved, and one of, the, one, of the, one of the two gets saved and they're just on fire for the Lord, the other one's like, you know what? I don't want anything to do with you or your God. And they just walk away. They, they abandon the marriage relationship. Then, then Paul says, hey, that person is without guilt. You know, he's blameless. 
But again, this marriage is not about, I mean, this text is not about marriage, though there are some marriage principles here. And so we're just going to touch on them real quick. Malachi 2.16, above all, above all these things, Malachi 2.16, God says, I hate divorce. Right? And, and, and just on that topic, reconciliation should always be the first resort, right? And divorce, uh, the last resort, right? It's like, man, I've seen God do amazing things in marriages even when there was an unfaithful spouse. I mean, there's, uh, you guys are familiar with Calvary Chapel Golden Springs. You know, Pastor Dale, this assistant pastor, he, tell, he says all the time from the pulpit. And he shares his, his story, how, how his wife, you know, when they were already believers, how his wife, you know, was unfaithful. And they had separated issues. Or Harry ran off with someone else. And, and God restored their marriage. And now they have an awesome, beautiful, powerful testimony unto the Lord. Right? And it's amazing. God can use that. And so we see that despite what happens, you know, God's <laughs> heart is to restore. God's will is to restore first and foremost. Right, but the the Bible does again give us those two grounds for divorce, which is sexual immorality or uh, an abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. Now there are some gray some gray areas in the in the Bible when it talks about about about, uh, about divorce, right? And someone asked about uh, like physical abuse or stuff like that. And you know when it comes to those things, I mean we strongly suggest that that there will be a separation taking place, right, in order to preserve uh, one's one's um, one's life. Right? Whether it's one of the spouses or one of the kids or whatever it may be. But again, Paul is, not, is, is using this illustration of death in a marriage to describe the believer's relationship to the law and to grace. He's not wanting to, to expound on marriage. He's just using this example. Hey, a couple is married. He says, if the husband dies, then the wife is free now to remarry without guilt, without shame, right? without any penalty. And so with that in mind, with, 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 with that idea in mind, verse 4 says... Therefore, my brethren, my brothers, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another. He says, to who? To him who raised, who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. Verse 5 says, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions were, which, which were aroused by the law were at work in our members or in our body to bear fruit unto death. And verse 6 says, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what, to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And so just as in Paul's illustration, so we too have now become dead to the law. He says, look, take this couple for example, right? Married, the wife, married her husband, he dies, so now she's free from the law. And so, and so just like in Paul's illustration, he says, look, us too, he says, we're that, we're the, we're that spouse, Right, we're the we're the ones that, that that died, and so we're now free from that from that from that contract. Back in Romans six thirty four, Paul made this this distinction. He said, "Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death?" He says, "Therefore we were buried with them through baptism into death, and that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in the newness of life." And so back in Romans chapter 6, Paul described how when the believer places their faith in Jesus, he says, it's like we've reckoned ourselves, reckoned ourselves as dead. The old me was dead. He says, oh, I still have my reputation and all these other things. Hey, man, that's not me anymore. Right? God doesn't see me as that anymore. He sees me as a new creation. He says, all that, he says, the old man is dead. The old nature is dead. Right? And, and so as he's carrying this thought now into chapter 7, with that thought in mind that, look, we've, we've died also spiritually. We've died to the, our old nature, our old man. Right? 
You put your name in there. He says, the old plant, the old angel, you put your name in there, has died. He's no longer here. And so we as believers have died to the requirements of the law as a way of salvation. Right? No longer having a, to strive to keep the law, to strive to, to, to please God right, by, by our performance or by, by, by what we can do for Him. Paul says, hey man, as believers, we've died to that. That, that's, that's not a thing anymore, right? We're not held by the law. We're not held in bondage to the law. And the law has no power over us. We've been made free through the dying of the old nature when we believe that we're made new in Christ. Now, there in Paul's illustration of marriage, you know, he says, there in Paul's illustration, he says, the woman's husband died, so she was free to marry another, right? That was the whole point that he was trying to get across. Not trying to teach on marriage or anything. He, there's a whole chapter dedicated to that there in 1 Corinthians. But, but here, he's using marriage as an illustration. And his point was that this woman's husband died. And because he died, then legally, she was free to marry another. And so with us, as believers, who are now dead to our old nature. We are the ones who have died to the requirements of the law. And now we're made free to marry another. Paul says, there in verse 4 he says, that you may be married to another, right? To who? To him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Married to Christ. Now it's not a physical marriage ceremony, of course you get that, right? But it's just joined together now with the Lord. And so we were, and so Paul tells us that, that, that just as we, we have died not to our own nature now, legally we're free to remarry the Lord now, to be joined as one to the Lord. He says, we've been made free. Now, he goes on to say that we weren't made free. We were made free from the law so that we can serve ourselves and our own flesh. But he says, we were made free from that law as we died to our own nature. We were made free from the law so we could serve the Lord, so we could serve God, so we could serve Christ. He says, to him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. Right? So when we were in the flesh, in our old sin nature, our sinful nature had, had control over, over us and was leading us to spiritual death. But now, Paul says, but now we have, been made, we have been set free from the bondage that we had to the law, or was known as legalism. Right? This, this uh, again, this requirement of keeping God's law in order to be made righteous before the Lord. There's no way. Right? And so now we can serve God, Paul says, in the new life, this spirit-led life, the spirit-led life, it's beautiful. Now, again, keep in mind that that Paul is writing to to Christian believers who were seeking to be made acceptable unto God by their keeping of the law, by their right standing before God, based on their outward performance. And in, in, in short terms, that, that's exactly what legalism is, right? If you're not familiar with the term, the word legalism, or this term legalism, it describes this. This emphasizing of a system of rules and regulations for achieving salvation or spiritual growth, right? And most of the time they, they neglect grace, right? That's exactly what legalism is. Again, this emphasizing of a system of rules and regulations for achieving salvation and spiritual growth. Neglecting the grace of God, right? And, and, and it's, it's, it's important to teach this, right? Because it's, man, even us as believers... It's so easy to fall into legalism. Man, I've caught myself so many times falling into legalism in my own, my own personal life. And, and, and I've had it every once in a while, right? Kind of just regroup. Say, all right, Lord, 
I'm, I, somewhere along the way I lost it. Somewhere along the way I, 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 took, I took a left when I should have made a right. right? And, 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 like, and like David there in Psalm 139, I said, Lord, search my heart. Know my thoughts. Right? Show, me, show me if there's any wicked way in me and, and lead me to the way everlasting. And it's important for us as believers to, to every once in a while, hey, check our motives. Check our walks with the Lord. Right? Is there any uh, uh, legalism in my, in, in my life? In, in the terms of, you know, I, I would catch myself uh, doing things for God. Doing things for God that God never called me to do. Because I felt this pressure of, all right, well, this is what I'm supposed to do as a Christian now. This is what I'm supposed to do as a leader now. This is what I'm supposed to do as whatever. Right? And God never called me to do those things. And by me doing those things, I'm thinking, man, well, God, are you pleased? And God says, I never called you to do that in the first place, but thanks. Right? Now, again, again, keep in mind that, that Paul is writing to these believers with that, with that mentality. Right? In the first few chapters, he, he puts his emphasis on circumcision. Saying, look, it's not through circumcision. It's through faith. Right? They were, they were banking their salvation on this act of circumcision, thinking, look, if I do all these righteous things, keeping the law, then man, God's going to be pleased with me. And Paul says, hey, man, it was never about those things. He says, it's through faith now. He says, you, pay, you place your faith in Jesus Christ on his death and resurrection on the cross. He says, God is already pleased with you. That's it. Right? Everything else is a byproduct of love. And so... We see that, that as Paul is, is, again, is just expounding on this thought. I love what he says there in verse 6. Turn there again. He says, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. He freed us from bondage to the law, not so we could serve ourselves, but, we could serve, but so that we could serve God but not serve him through these righteous requirements of the law, but serve him through the newness of the Spirit. Right? Serve him through the newness of the Spirit. And so Paul now touching on this topic of serving God in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter, meaning of the law, right? Of by keeping the law. Now, this freedom from legalism is not given to us so we can stop serving God, but that so we can serve him better. He's not saying, all right, man, you're free from the law. You're, you know, free to do whatever you want. I'll see you in heaven. It's not like that. He says, you weren't free from the law or free from these righteous requirements so you could serve yourself or, or forsake God. He says, but you were free from, these, from the law so that you could better serve God. Not less than, right? But better serve God. Interesting that. And actually, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that, that, that some people's motivation for serving come out of fear an obligation, right? And, and they serve well under those conditions. You, might, you put all kinds of trips on people, and man, and you go get them going like hamsters on a wheel. Be right this time. Don't do this. Don't do that. You're late. That's strike one or whatever, right? Put all these different things. And, 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 and people function like a, like a factory like that. And you could, and, and hourly, everything looks fine. Look, everyone's on time. Everyone's doing their jobs. Everyone's serving these ministries. Although you, know, you, could, you could mark off all the, all the little boxes and you recreate these, this factory in the church. Right? A fruit factor instead of a tree. And, 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 and it's unfortunate, again, that some people's motivation for serving God comes from that. Right? But we see that, that the Lord never required that. Right? Those are the wrong motives. Paul says again, so we could serve God in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter, not in the oldness of the law. Right? And as I was coming here to, to, to these verses, I asked myself, man, Lord, why am I serving you? Do I serve God because I'm obligated to do so? Do I serve God uh, 
because I'm afraid of what people are going to say if I don't? Do I serve God because it's a Christian thing to do? Or because my name is on a schedule? Right? And, and we would be right to, our, to ask ourselves those questions. Or do I serve God because love and grace motivate me to do so? That's where I rested. Lord, it's your love, it's your grace. And we serve God because His love and His grace motivates us to do so. It's not something that we have to try to do or strive to do. It's a byproduct of love, of just this abiding love in the Lord. As you abide in the Lord, you're going to find yourself serving Him different ways. Without anyone having to ask you to do so, without anyone teaching you, teach you how to do so, without you having to look at the law, oh, do not lie, oh, man, I'm not supposed to lie. It's just a byproduct of love, right? It was awesome, right? We were down the island last weekend, one of the Fridays, it was a Friday night. Liz and I went to work looking for ice cream. It's something after I were looking for ice cream, driving to the downtown. And uh, I was looking for parking spot. It was crazy. And I guess Liz saw like this whole crowd of people, someone with Jesus signs and people like yelling and she's like a whole mob. So I'm driving. She's like, did you see that? I'm like, oh, no, what? She's like, there's like, man, some people with Jesus signs. This guy saying, I'm Jesus. I heard people yelling, cussing. I'm like, what's going on? Like, I didn't hear anything. So let's go check it out. I'm like, all right. We go over there, we walk over there, and, uh, and, and yes, these brothers with signs, you know, and they're, they're with a blowhorn old school just preaching this gospel. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Hey, Jesus calling you to himself. And then, yeah, people were driving by, yelling stuff. You know, it was the main street. And, uh, you know, yelling bad things. And then off to the side, there's a homeless guy with a big sign that says, I'm Jesus. And I'm just like, man, what's going on right here? Right? And as we stop and we, and, and, and we pass by him, you know, we're walking by, and, and this is like, man, let's go back. Let's go pray for those guys. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, it's just too crazy. Let's keep on going. I want to get my ice cream before they close. Let's go. That's <laughs> me. And then as she's telling me, oh, babe, let's go pray. Let's go pray. And then in my head, I thought, well, you know, she's usually right about these things. All right, let's go pray with them. We go, we pray, we pray for these guys, and uh, we start talking to them. And it turns out they're from Calvary Chapel. We're like, oh, man, so cool. You know, we start talking to these brothers, you know, and they start encouraging us. I start encouraging them. Like, I'm super encouraged. We're right there praying for each, for, pray for each other. This girl shows up. Liz is praying for this girl. And it's like, it, it was so awesome, right? But it's like, man, we weren't even trying. We're just abiding in the Lord, and God is just bringing us ministry opportunities wherever we're at. And then when we went to the church on Sunday, and we're talking to the pastor, and we're just, you know, he was sharing with us. He's like, man, he's like, bro, I'm amazed at, at how many people come over here. You know, they're Christians, but when they come here on the island, he says, it's like they're taking a break from Christianity, right? And they're a completely different person while they're here on the island. Then they come to us on Sunday. We find out like, hey man, they're they're Christians, you know, but they're like they're like they're, they're on vacation mode. And he's like, there is no vacation for for Christians, right? There's no vacation for ministry, and it's true, right? God has called us to be people of integrity. Now that word integrity, right, comes from the root word integer, which means one. It's a whole number. I have good with math. I'm not good with math, but I know that for sure. That that integer means a whole number, not divided, not fractioned off. It's a whole number, meaning you're the same person at home, at work, at school. On the island, city terrace, wherever you're at, you're the same person, right? And, and, and that's what God is, is calling us to be. That's who God is calling us to be, right? But this comes to this abiding faith in Christ, right? And so Paul said, look, we serve now. We've been freed from the law so that, we, so that we can serve God now in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Because, hey, man, it's about being spirit-led now as we serve God, Right? John 4.24 tells us that God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. 
God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Right? And so we see that worship and service unto God is first spiritual. Everything else that we do, the physical, is a byproduct of that spiritual relationship with the Lord. A worship and service unto God is first spiritual. First happens right here in the heart. Spiritual between you and God. And everything else is a byproduct of this. Your heart and God, your heart and God. Everything else that we do. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's like that story there in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 7, 36 to 47, if you want to turn there. We have uh, this, this story of, of, of this lady that comes to Jesus while, while, while Jesus is eating at the home of some Pharisees, some religious guys. And there in Luke 7, 36 through 47, he says, it says this, I'll read it for you guys. It says, then one of the Pharisees asked him, or asked Jesus, to eat with them. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she kept, when she knew that Jesus was at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, which, man, would have cost her a lot, like maybe like a whole year's wage. And she stood at Jesus' feet behind him, just weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with the hair of her head. And then she kissed his feet and anointed them with that friggin' oil. And now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, is, this man, if you were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And verse 40 says, And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, go for it, say it. And Jesus said, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Now tell me, Simon, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, Well, I guess the one who, whom he forgave more. And he said to him, yeah, you're right. He says, you're right about that. And verse 44, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? You see this lady? He says, I, he says, hey, I came into your house. You gave me no water for my feet. He says, but she has washed my feet with her tears. And she's wiped them with, their, with the hair of her head. He says, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my, my feet since the time I came in. He says, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with friggin' oil. And therefore I say to you that her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. To whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And so what Jesus is saying here in this little encounter, it's not a parable. It's something that actually happened. Right? Jesus at this house, the lady comes in. She knows that she's been forgiven. And so she just all she could do is just weep. All she could do is just, just weep, anoint Jesus' feet, and, 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 and dry his feet with her hair. That's all she could do. All these religious guys were just kind of sitting around the table watching, right? Jesus said, "Hey, man, I came in. You didn't even offer me something. Some, you didn't even offer me something, uh, some water for my feet. So I had to wash my feet and come to your house. You said to come in." And what Jesus said there last is, "Therefore I say to you that her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little." And what Jesus was saying is that, look, man, you guys don't think that you need to be forgiven of a whole lot, and that's why you don't love a whole lot. 
But he says, but this lady recognizes that she's been forgiven of a whole lot. And that's why she loves a whole lot. And so we see that this woman served the Lord, served the Lord through her tears and her service. But she served the Lord not to be forgiven, but because she knew that she was forgiven. She had experience of forgiveness of God. And so all she could do was just weep on his feet and dry and dry few with her hair. She was serving the Lord from a place of forgiveness, not for forgiveness. Right? Her service was, was this byproduct of love. That's what Jesus is saying. He looked, man, she loves me a lot because she knows how much she's been forgiven. And so her service was a byproduct of love. And that's what Paul is saying there in that last verse. He says, we've been freed from the law so that we could serve now in the newness of the spirit. And not in the oldness of the letter. Right? It's through grace. And verse 7 says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinned? He says, no way. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through, the, except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. And verse 8 says, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I, I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. And so Paul is saying, as after he says, this, he says, hey, well, so is the law sin then? He says, no way, certainly not. Right? Now we can see how, how someone who's listening to Paul say this, especially a Jewish listener, we, we can understand how someone listening to Paul can come to this conclusion and say, well, then the law must be evil. If the, if the law keeps me from, from grace, if the law keeps me in bondage, if the law keeps me you know, under, under this legalism, then the law must be, must be evil. And Paul says, no way. He says, the law is not evil. He says, it's good. It's holy. It's just. Right? And so we see that the law of God is good. The law of God is holy. The law of God is perfect. The law of God exposes our innermost sinful thoughts and intentions. And that's why it's good and holy and just. Right? Paul says, he says, look, the law is exposing to me things like covetousness, for example, right? Which means desiring after someone else's possession, like lusting after what someone else has. Man, I want his life. Man, I want his job. Man, I want this. Man, hey, well, that's, that's covetousness. And Paul says, hey, I wouldn't have known that I was sinning and doing that unless it was written the law. He thou shalt not covet. Oh, man, I'm sinning. Right? So he says, the law is good because the law leads us, right? The law shows us our shortcomings. But our sinful nature takes advantage of the law to produce sin in us. That's what Paul is saying. He says, law is good, but our sin, our sinful nature is what takes advantage of the law and it brings us to this spiritual death. It, it says it takes advantage of, our, of, of us. For example, man, you're walking down the street and you see a big old building and signs that say, do not touch fresh paint. What's the first thing you're going to do? Drink. Touch it, right? So he says, man, there's, there's, this, there's this law present in us, right, that, that, that just... Man, when, when sin sees this opportunity to defy the law, it's going to take it. That's just our sinful nature, right? Our sinful nature is meant to lead us to death. It was since the beginning, there in, there in the garden, right? What did God tell Adam? He says, if you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. And that's something that it was inherited in us. And, and, and sin in us is always going to try to lead us to death whenever it has the opportunity to. That's just the law of sin in us, Right? And so it's not the law that's sinful or evil, Paul says, but it's our own flesh that is sinful and evil. 
Now our sin nature deceives us to go against God's law and brings us to spiritual death. But the law itself is that it's good, it's just, it's holy, right? It's all these things. And verse 13 says, Has then what is good become death to me? He says, certainly not. He says, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Right? Verse 14 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Because I'm sold under sin. And so Paul says, So the, the law being good now and, the, and, 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 and sin in the law leading me to death, he says, Has then what is good become death to me? He says, No way. He says, The law is still good. It's beneficial. Right? It's beneficial. But it doesn't save. Keeping the law does not save us. Because we can't keep it. Keeping the law doesn't put you in the right standing before God. Because you're going to fail no matter what. Right? You're, you're going to disobey God no matter what. And so Paul says that sin, that it might, it might kind of be highlighted in our lives. He says, was, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Someone might think, well, I mean, yeah, I, I, lie, I lie every once in a while, but it can't be that bad. Right? I mean, just a little lie, a little white lie. We tend to put our, our sins into categories. Right? We say, I was dabbling with sin instead of saying I was jumping head first. I was just messing around with it instead of saying, hey, I was you know, full-blown in it. We say hey, it was a white, little white lie instead of a full-blown lie. Or we call it a half-truth instead of, you know, hey, man, a half-truth is still a full lie. And so Paul is saying the law is good in the sense that through it, we can look at our sins and say, look, well, if God is judging it by his law, then it must be evil. Right? So he says that through the law, sin becomes exceedingly sinful. Meaning, it doesn't allow us to sugarcoat our sin because it's there written in God's law. And then he says this, verse 15, going on, he says, For what I am doing, Paul's not going to express his, his frustration. He says, For what I am doing, he says, Man, I don't get it. He says, I don't, I don't understand. For what I want to do, that I don't practice. But what I hate, says that I end up doing. Says if then if then I do what I what I, what I don't want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that's in my flesh, nothing good dwells. He says for to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good? He says I don't get it. I can't find it. He says for the good that I want to do, I don't do. But the evil that I don't want to do, I end up practicing that. So now if I do what I don't want to do, then it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He says, I find in a law that is, that, he says, I find in a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. He says, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, that spiritual man, but I see another law in my body. He says, warring against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my body. And then he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And so Paul expresses his frustration now as he's talking about the law and God's righteous requirements. And talking about now that forgiveness of God that we have through grace. He says, man, even though now I'm a new creation, Paul would say, even though now you know I'm serving God in the newness of the spirit. He says, I'm frustrated in this, that... I know what to do. I know to do right. And I want to do right. But I don't end up doing what I know that is right. I know to do right. I go to execute it. And I fail miserably. He says, and that what I hate to do, 
that I end up doing. Some have argued and said, well, Paul's talking about when he first became a believer. You know, that was before he got saved. That was, he's talking, he's addressing the, 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 the spiritual baby or, you know, someone who was, you know, not mature in the Lord. No, he's addressing all believers. Because no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, I'm sure you can relate to Paul. I was talking to somebody we had known, Pastor Lau, the old man. And I was amazed that I was at his house. And uh, we were talking about the something, videos, whatever. He said something about the internet. He says, he says, oh, he says I have to have, uh, he says, I put internet blockers on my, on my, on my internet service. You know, so that, you know, nothing crazy pops up. I'm like, man, are you serious, Lau? He says, yeah. He says, yeah. He says, uh, he says I, have to, I have to guard myself against those things. And I would think, man, you would think after walking with the Lord for so long and being, you know, so up there in age, for lack of better words, you would think that eventually, I mean, that stuff, you'll get over that stuff or, you know, you'll, you know that stuff will kind of brush off and says, no way, man, no way, sin doesn't quit. The devil doesn't take any time off, right? He's after us no matter what. And so Paul's expression is that no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, no matter how mature you are in, in the Lord or in the Word, you're going to battle with these things. He says, I know to do right. But I don't always do it. And what I don't want to do, what I told myself I would never do, I find myself doing. And Paul says, he says, I find in that there's this law within me. He says, there's, there's, this, there's this evil present within me. He says, I find this evil law that is present within me. That's the law of sin. Says, and it's present in the one that wills to do good. He says, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. I mean, our spiritual man, amen, loves the things of God. Right? I'm sure you could attest to that too, man. Our spiritual man, the one that desires to please God, man, I love the word, I love worship, I love listening to sermons, I love you know, just being in the presence of God. But sometimes it gets drawn out by my sinful nature. And Paul says, See, I see then another law in my body, warring against the law of my mind. They're going at this, they're going at it like this all day long, all day long, and they don't get tired. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am. He says, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Notice that he doesn't say what is going to deliver me. Because it's not about a what. It's not about a system. It's not about, you know, uh, anything else. But it's about a person. He says, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And he gives us the answer in verse 25. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. Right? I serve God with my mind, with my flesh. I serve sin. He's not saying it as an excuse, like, oh, well, you know, that's just how we are. Inner man is spiritual, the body's flesh, so I'm going to continue to sin. No, but he's saying this is just what happens. This is just a reality, right? This is the reality of it. We serve God with our minds, with our hearts, and with our bodies. We wish we could serve God. We serve God, right? But we wish we could, we could serve Him fully, without any blemish, but we just can't, right? Because we're in the sinful body, we're in the sinful nature, and we're going to be in the sinful nature until we go home to be with the Lord. Right? And so he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Paul said, hey, we don't need no more law. We need more grace. We don't need more rules and regulations. We need more Jesus. I love what it says there in John 1, 16 and 17. John, as he's, as he's opening his, the, 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 the book of John there, he says... And of his fullness we have all received. And grace for grace. And he says, For the law was given through Moses. He says, But grace and truth, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is talking to Nicodemus there in John 3.17. And he's kind of having this, this conversation about, about, about being born again. And you, you guys know the, the chapter, if you don't, Nicodemus comes to, to Jesus at night. And he says, hey man, he says, I don't get it. He says, and Jesus tells me, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus says, what do you mean? Man? You mean I got to go back into my mother's womb and be born again physically? And Jesus says, no man, you're missing the point. He says, it's not a physical birth, but you got to be born again spiritually. And he goes on to share with them, right? And he says those famous words, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But then he says this in verse 17. He says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So just like Paul saying, he says, look, man, he says, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord because through him we're delivered. Right. Paul's not making an excuse for his sin. And, and, and there is a spiritual victory that the believer can have in those areas of sin. Right? God has given us the power through his Holy Spirit to overcome the flesh. That's truth, point blank. He's given us the power through His Holy Spirit to overcome the flesh, sin, and temptation. But it's not like this magical genie type of thing, like, all right, God, how many are falling sin? Boom. Right? It takes, I mean, it takes us also working towards it. But Paul will say this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. As, as, as he's talking about this as well as sin and temptation, he says, No temptation has overcome, has overcome you or has overtaken you except such as is common to man. He says, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation, he will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so Paul talking to the regular believer who's struggling with sin and struggling uh, with, with falling, right? He says, look, man, he says, no temptation has overcome you except that which is common to man. Meaning, when we're in the thick of it, we're being tempted and we're, and we're being, you know, we're being hit hardcore, we think, man... I'm like the only person who's ever experienced this, right? No one, there's no way I can explain this to anyone because no one else has gone through what I'm going through right now. And Paul's saying, look, man, what you go through, people go through it every day. He says, you're not the only one. He says, no temptation has overcome you except such as is common to man. And you're like, man, there's other people going through it, right? You're not alone in this. And he says, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with that temptation, he will also make the way of escape that you may be, be able to bear. And that escape of the Holy Spirit. Right? He's placed His Holy Spirit in us. I get to test that mostly uh, just about every single time. You know, I, I, I made a mistake. I found the sin, whatever. There was that way of escape in my mind. There always was. I sensed the Holy Spirit kind of just tugging at me. like, uh, And it was my choice of whether to kind of lean towards that inclination of the Holy Spirit or just uh, get away from me just, and just boom. Right, first out, whatever. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, look, he says, with that temptation, God also makes the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now keep in mind that, hey man, being tempted is not a sin. Jesus was tempted and he did not sin. But it's when we give in to that temptation that becomes sin. This is temptation. They're just boom, boom. Clashing, resisting, resisting. So this is sin. When you just give in to it. So being tempted is not sinful, right? You're not... Hey, don't 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 kick yourself because you're tempted. Right? Being tempted is not sinful. But it's when you it's when you give in to the temptation. But the Bible tells us that God has given us the way of escape, and that's through His Holy Spirit. And Paul says right here in verse twenty-five, he says, "I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, right, 
who's going to deliver me? So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And there in chapter 8, verse 1, I'm just going to read verse 1. Don't worry. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And if you're a believer this morning, if you find yourself struggling in your walk with the Lord at any point in your walk, this should be like a sigh of relief right it should be like a cup of water to a thirsty man in a dry desert Paul said there is therefore now no condemnation what did Jesus say back in John 3 he says hey I didn't come into the world to condemn the world but that the world through, my, through me might be saved God's not condemning me God's not condemning you right sometimes when we fall into sin we feel like God is condemning us we feel like oh, man, I don't want to show my face I don't really want to look at him because they know they know I'm in sin they know I messed up I don't want to come to church because man God knows I don't even want to pray because, man, I feel so messed up. I feel all jacked up. I just muddied the water. Now how am I supposed to come to the Lord? Hey, but God's not condemning you. Jesus said, hey, God didn't send His Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. And now Paul expresses that here in, in chapter 8, verse 1. He says, that there is therefore now no condemnation. There's absolutely no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, when he says we do not walk according to the flesh, you may think, well, my wife fall and I, you know, I messed up. And Paul's talking about this again, this habitual, unrestrained, right? Untethered, just blown away life given over to the flesh. For that person, that person's not even regenerated. You know, he's not he hasn't even been born again. So he first needs to be born again. But Paul says for that person who has made it a point in his heart and his mind to serve God, has been born again falls into sin, temptation, whatever it may be. He says, hey man, there's no condemnation. Right? There's no condemnation. He says, but he does say this, we're to walk according to the Spirit. Right? Is that proverb that says, hey man, a righteous man falls six times, but that's seven times, but he gets up seven. And though we may fall, though we may get tempted, though we may mess up, hey man, get back up. Because God not, God's not condemning you. I talking to a brother the other day, and, uh, you know, man, the blur, he's, he had a good start, man. He had a really good start. We got saved around the same time. And, and he was, I mean, I was still wishy-washy in the world and doing things. And he was like on fire, leading a youth Bible study and all these things. And he was always reaching out to me. And, and I'm thankful for his life. And, and you know, and afterwards, you know, and I, I committed my life to the Lord fully. And then he kind of fell off to the wayside. And, and I was talking to him recently. And he just, he couldn't get out of that place of just condemnation. I'm like, bro, you got to get out of there, man. I'm like, bro, you got to just get up, man. You can't just sit there and, and cry, woe is me. No, you got to get up, brush yourself off, and keep on walking with the Lord, man, because God is not looking at you that way. He says, you're looking at you that way. God is not looking at you that way. That's what Paul is saying, man. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you so much for the beautiful truths of your word. I pray, Father God, for anybody here, Lord, who is maybe battling with condemnation, Lord. Maybe battling with thoughts of not being worthy. Battling with thoughts of maybe like they haven't done enough. I pray, Lord, that, that your word, that your truth would just have permeate those hearts, Lord, and that your truth would exceed our feelings and our emotions. And that when those thoughts come, Lord, that your word would just uh, Lord, reign more, more powerful than those thoughts. Remind us, Lord, that it's not through what we do, Lord, but it's through 
what you did on the cross. Father, we love you. We praise you. And I, and I just pray for my brothers and sisters. May you just strengthen them, Lord. Strengthen them in their walks, Lord. Strengthen them in their in their time with you, Lord. Strengthen them in their marriages, in their in their relationships, Lord, in their families, Father God. Strengthen their, their, their personal time with you, Lord, their devotional time with me. You just speak to them, Lord, and may they have ears to hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to them, Lord. Bless our day today, Lord, and the rest of our morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you guys.